Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Löwenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Lead Gem podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand and I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. And today we're going to talk about innovation or how to rethink innovation actually because we have a very interesting guest with us today who's a marketing and innovation strategist, author and keynote speaker at many global events and have just put out a very interesting book in ebook format and coming out in hard copy in June. Carla Johnson, welcome to today's podcast, Carla. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here, Jacob. I'm so looking forward to discuss innovation and uh, all your ideas and thoughts around this area, which is so great. But before we start and dive into today's topic, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about you. Uh, I know you're probably well-known to a lot of our listeners, but to those few who haven't come across you yet, how, how, uh, how did you end up as a marketing and innovation strategist? You know, I, I guess the, the path that took me to where I am today um, came about because of my curiosity. I've always been a very curious person. And um, my, one of my first marketing jobs was working for architects and particularly with the designers. And it was that experience that really formed my belief and practices as a marketer, because one of the things that design architects do before they even you know, start drawing lines or sketching on a, the back of a napkin or anything like that, is that they start to work on what do we want people to feel when they're in a particular space, you know, a, a public space, a home, a place of worship, you know, a school, anything like that. How do we want people to feel when they're in this environment? And I think often as marketers, that's not something that we talk about. We talk about, you know, how do we want people to act? What do we want to provoke them to do? And it was that idea of starting with what do we want people to feel? Because we know logically that emotion drives everything, but we don't create our um, marketing strategies based on that. So what I learned from design architects is how to reverse engineer emotion into what it is that we create as marketers. And a lot of that is often story driven because of the nature of stories. And, you know, that's why we love things like Game of Thrones and, and Harry Potter, because they are emotion driven and they keep us on the edge of our seat. And so that was really my foundation in in marketing. And then along the way, the seventh book that I wrote was one I co-wrote with Robert Rose about experiences, the seventh era of marketing. And that's how to create story-driven experiences based on the content that we create. And it was interesting because it was, it was a book that was really well-received and we had a framework for how to do this work. But one of the things that people consistently asked me was, I love the idea of story-driven experiences. I love having a framework, but what I struggle with is coming up with ideas that are actually new and different and not just, you know, rehashing or redressing something that we've always done and trying to pretend that it's new and innovative or, you know, the copycat syndrome of taking something we've seen someplace else and just trying to overlay it onto what we do. 
And people were really struggling on how do we, one, come up with ideas that truly are unique and different. Two, how do we introduce them into our organization or get a client approval to move forward with them in a way that doesn't make, that makes the idea feel innovative, but not necessarily overly risky so that it, it activates fear in people's minds. So, you know, together, and, and I think it's really a very natural blend because one of the things that Peter Drecker said is that, you know, there's only two functions of a business and that's marketing and innovation. And I just feel really lucky and privileged that I've been able to overlap those two things that um, mean so much to me are all driven by story and, and emotion and end up with where I am today talking to you about this 10th book that I have about rethinking innovation. Yeah. So what an interesting background and uh, story you have there. And I, that resonates really well with me. A great story is, is probably the most powerful thing there is or among the most powerful thing there is. So definitely so true. So yeah, I'm so intrigued about your new book, Rethink Innovation. And how did you come up with that one? And, and what's your core idea behind that book? You know, the, how, I, how I started to go down this path was with people asking me after the experiences book about how do we, how do we come up with these ideas? And what, I, I mean, I, I'm a person who has never struggled with ideas. Granted, you know, it's the follow through that I do struggle with, but there's, there's ways to manage that. But what I started to look into is, are the things that people like Steve Jobs, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, you know, the people that we think of as icons of innovation and amazing ideas, what do they know that we don't? And do they have a process that can be broken down and simplified to the point that anybody can learn it or teach it, um, use it, scale it? And so that was the charge that I gave to myself when I, you know, went down the research path to find out if this was something that I felt was, was a viable idea for a book. And it turns out that it is. And the subtitle of the book is how the world's most prolific innovators come up with great ideas that turn into extraordinary outcomes. Now it may win an award for the longest subtitle for a book, that's for <laughs> sure. But what I wanted people to know is that people that they see, whether it is those Steve Jobs, Richard Branson kind of people who consistently put out these amazing ideas that are executable, is that something that can be learned? And it is. And so I did, you know, interview people. Um, I did a lot of research into people like Steve Jobs and Richard Branson. And I interviewed people from all walks of life. A lot of them from uh, B2B companies. Some of them were one person firms. Some of them were, you know, heads of marketing for you know, $25 billion global kind of companies, you know, it was tech, it was um, hospitality, it was a lot of different industries. And what I found was they all actually do follow a consistent process, a similar process, whether they realize it or not. And so that is the process that I've broken down and simplified and shared through my book. So what I want people to understand is that innovation is something that's everybody's business. And a lot of times we believe that innovation is a new product, a new service, a new something that you sell, but actually 90% of innovation happens outside of traditional product and service development. And what we're missing is this incredible opportunity 
to really drive growth, revenue, relationships with customers, deeper engagement, longer customer retention by focusing on the other 90% of the business that doesn't necess- that doesn't usually get all the glory for innovation. And so that's the big idea that I want people to start to rethink about innovation is how we define it and who's involved. Mm. So everybody's idea. That's so great. And uh, I totally agree. So what do you think are the key steps? If you just break it down a little bit for us, what, what, what have you come across as uh, a significant uh, similarities around successful companies in this area? Yeah. And it's, it's broken down to five steps that on their own seem almost ridiculously simple, but it's the consistency of following this process and practicing it to such a degree that it just becomes a habit that when you have a challenge, you need an idea. And it can be something as simple as how do we make this meeting a little more interesting? Um, this is the process that your brain naturally kicks into. And the nice thing about it is that there's a lot of neuroscience behind it. It's about how your brain actually functions as long as we allow it the space to do what it does naturally. So the first step is one that it's one of my most enjoyable and that's simply to observe the world around us. Mm. And there's so many times I'm, I'm sure you and I, like a lot of people these days, we spend so much of our time looking at a screen, looking at a camera, mm. you know, looking at our phone. And it's this ability to put down things that narrow our vision and look much more broadly and start to take in the details of the world around us. So say you're doing something just as simple as sitting at a coffee shop or maybe a park and just taking 15 minutes when you put your phone down and you simply look around and you think, you know, in, in a park, has the grass started to turn green? I know here in Denver, it's March and this is our wettest season of the year. And so there's a lot of grass that's coming, green grass that's coming up in patches underneath big piles of snow because, you know, we've had a lot of snow in the last couple of weeks. You know, it's that juxtaposition of the, of the bright green of growth and the, the white of snow of winter. You know, what kind of birds do you hear? Is there a breeze? Do you hear kids playing? Do you see them? You know, how do they interact? And just being highly observant of all of these things. Now, the second step is taking all of these things that we've observed and starting to do what our brain does naturally and put the, distilling these observations into patterns. It may be things just as simple as communication. You know, if you're sitting in a park, it's how kids interact with each other and they can sometimes have their own language of communication. If it's a game of um, hide and seek, maybe it's nonverbal communication. Um, Are there signs around the park? You know, starting to take all of these observations and, and group them into different categories. Then from there, we do... We do something called um, relate. And this is literally the idea of transplanting something you've seen in another environment or situation and relating that into the work that you do. Now, this is something that you see in a lot of areas such as art, music, architecture. It's something where it's obvious to see the influence of maybe another genre of music, rock and roll, blues, um, gospel, something like that, come into somebody's music. And that's what they've done is that they've 
observe the details of somebody else's music. They've distilled the patterns that they see about it that have meaning to them. Then they start to relate those patterns into the work that they're doing. The same thing happens for all of us as B2B marketers or B2B salespeople is that we start to relate those into the work that we do. And then we use that as inspiration for the fourth step, which is generate. Now, most of the time when we're looking at how do we come up with a new, fresh, innovative, creative idea, we don't start until this fourth step. We just gather together and we say, you know, here's our situation. Let's start coming up with ideas and you know, generating ideas. Let's just brainstorm. But most of the time, what happens out of those meetings is that, one, there isn't a lot of originality out of those meetings. We're just kind of rehashing things that we've always done before, just tweaking them a little bit to be a bit different. Or we're essentially copying and pasting something we've seen that's very unique, innovative, that another company has done. But we don't understand how to, how to relate the essence of what made it work into what we're trying to create. So it fails miserably. And then the last step is understanding how to pitch the idea and give feedback on a pitch. Now, the beauty of the pitch step is that you go back and you literally tell the story of the inspiration for the idea, the patterns that you saw, how you see that relating into your work and how that inspired the idea that you came up with. And that's one of the important things about the process as we go back to think about how do we introduce a new idea to our client or into our organization in a way that is fresh and new and innovative. However, counteracts that, that fear that can be triggered when something too new or too risky can be introduced. So by telling the story of this idea through this journey, right away, what we've done is taking something that could feel drastically um, dangerous and too risky and made it feel familiar by showing how it shows up, how it manifests in another environment, in another brand, in another experience. And so it does feel less risky and that dramatically increases the chances that people are going to start saying yes to more of your ideas. Hmm. So interesting framework you have laid out there. Um, it sounds very, very logical and, and I feel uh, there's a lot of insights here. So. I know you have also studied tech companies, especially who have run a lot of product innovation uh, for service companies like Brightvision and, and consulting companies. We're more into service innovation, so I suppose. But, but for tech companies, who have a lot of products. What do you see there? Uh, could they apply this trend, uh, th this process as well? Absolutely, and and I think that's a that's a great. Example, and I'll give you a couple of um, situations in which companies used this exact approach in um, working on making their product or their process or something like that better. One was an industrial company that manufactured large um, windmills for power. Mm -hmm. And they found that what they needed was some sort of um, structure in their manufacturing process that could help them like, like a scaffolding kind of thing that was temporary. So it could be put up and down very quickly, but extremely safe so that any of the workers, they weren't in jeopardy of, of injuring themselves. And this was necessary because of the speed that needed to happen to um, get the windmills um, assembled 
and then out the door and, and into, into production. And so what they did is they used essentially the same process. They, they had an objective. They knew that they needed to, to find the scaffolding that would be very safe so that they could increase the speed at which they could manufacture these, these wind turbines. And they took inspiration actually from a KISS concert. And they looked at how fast, you know, roadies have to get to a new location. They need a tremendous amount of scaffolding that, that goes up and down. It has to be extremely safe and those kind of things. So it was the, the ability to observe all of these details of how something is done in another environment, under, distill those observations into patterns, be able to relate those patterns into the work that's done and use that as an inspiration for generating ideas. And the interesting thing is, I mean, of course there were different modifications that had to be made in, in a manufacturing environment, but had they not had that inspiration from another situation, it's unlikely that they would have been able to solve their problem as fast or as thoroughly and as efficiently and cost effectively as, as is often done. And many times when we look at traditional innovation, there's many opportunities that we miss because it isn't just about the product or service that's being developed. It's the process behind it because even with traditional innovation techniques and approaches, there's still a lot of inefficiencies. And this is a very simple process that can help anyone who's involved understand how to think more innovatively about solving any problem that they have in whatever part of the process that they have. And it also helps them understand how to look for opportunities. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. So what do you think, I, I mean, I'm running a company myself and as a managing director, and uh, I think a lot of executives these days are feeling a bit stressed out that Ooh, maybe we are not renewing our service offerings or product offerings enough and so forth. And we struggle with finding the ways how to get this moving. You know, we, we all want to be innovative, innovative, but maybe it's hard to get the organization aboard or, you know, it's just creating a little bit of uh, uh, unstructured <laughs> process around innovation. Everybody thinks it's somebody else's job, basically, uh, uh, many times. So how do you get this to happen in, in a company, whether it's a service company or, or a product company? What do you see are the biggest struggles or hurdles for a company to align in, into these processes? You know, that's a great question, Jacob, because one of the things that I talk about when companies have a traditional innovation group is that it creates an interesting dynamic. One is that everybody else in the organization, whether they say it or not, believe that innovation isn't their job because there is a specific group that's tasked with innovation and that's their responsibility, not mine. And so again, you have, you have limited your ability to be as innovative as possible because you're focusing only on the 10% of the organization instead of the 90% that has the biggest opportunity 
to have the biggest effect. Mm. The other thing that happens is that when you designate people as the quote innovators, you create this feeling of elitism. And the tendency then is for everybody else to feel, you know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, maybe a design thinker. I'm not a data scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a, you know, fill in all the blanks for the qualifiers that make everybody else not feel smart enough to innovate. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that I've received as feedback about this process is that it literally is something that everyone can do. And the ability to start to activate an entire organization. And the reason that this matters is because by having the CEO, the executive team clearly define and articulate that brand purpose, it has given everybody a North star to which they can all point. And then what starts to happen is that there's opportunities that the, the, the 90% of the employee population, what I call the citizen innovators start to have to find opportunities, to solve problems in order to deliver on that brand purpose. Now, the other thing that happens is when executives support that brand purpose with the values that they believe will create the behavior to deliver that brand purpose. It's a next level of almost insurance because when you articulate, these are the values that we believe that will result in this brand purpose happening, then you have the opportunity to hire, fire, reward, and reprimand based on the values that you say that you believe as a company. Now, I think for a lot of organizations, one, they have never articulated their brand purpose. I think what they've done is is done some branding and much of it, you know, excellent branding, but it's not something that you could say somebody in accounting can look at and say, I will make decisions about my job and how I do it every day because of that statement. And that's the power that a brand purpose delivers to an entire organization. And as example, one of the tech companies that I interviewed, they had a woman um, that they actually shut down operations for a week, twice a year to focus on innovation. And they have a woman in their accounting department who saw an opportunity because she said she and her team were spending 40 hours a month on a very labor intensive manual process. She um, looked at what coders, what programmers were doing. And she said, I think I can understand that, learn that. She taught herself a programming language, wrote a program that automated this 40 hour a month process. And now it takes 20 minutes. So when you start to look at the financial impact of taking a, you know, taking 39 hours and 40 minutes away from a team every single month and having them refocus on something that is much more valuable to the organization. These are things that are very powerful, particularly in a time that we're in now where many um, executives are saying, how can we be more efficient? How can we cut costs? How can we produce more? How can we really get behind growth? What you need to be able to do is unleash this powerhouse of potential innovators that you have in your organization who can identify opportunities like this woman in in finance did, who can solve the problems like the woman in finance did, and now start to do it at scale with the the other 90% of your organization. This is why we need to rethink innovation. And innovation isn't just about product and service development and launching. 
Innovation is a mindset about how we conduct business, how we find opportunities that grow the business, increase revenue, um, better serve customers, we're more efficient. And we're, as employees, we feel better about the work that we do and we're proud of it at the end of the day. And, you know, I can't think of any CEO executive who wouldn't be all over having a, a passionate, engaged workforce who's actively looking for opportunities and who is, is every single day looking at how we can better solve these problems so they don't continue to happen. Mm, yeah, so true. So interesting. And do you feel that who should take charge on this initiative? How do you get the organization to understand that we're all free to innovate? Have you seen any good examples of that or what do you recommend? You know, I, I think the greatest success always comes from the top. Um, I just did a, an executive training for a group in um, Europe last week and their COO came on and started out with 20 or 30 minutes before I, before I started the training about this is why innovation matters. And this is why we as leaders need to make sure that we create the environment that lets people understand that innovation is important. It's a mindset. It's a practice that we consistently do all the time, every day. It's not an extra thing that we add on. It's how we think and, and rethink about the work that we do. And you know what, sometimes whether or not that work actually needs to be done. And then the other thing is understanding the need to create space for trial and error. You know, I think one of the greatest hindrances of any organizational culture is the fear of making a mistake and that that's, you know, that it's a career limiting move. But the more that um, the culture from the very top shows that experimentation is welcome and starts to show evidence of people who have experimented. You know, it's great if it works out, but I think we also have to celebrate when things don't work out mm. and how it's still a learning opportunity that can be moved into the next stage of, of whatever's done. Now, that doesn't mean we have to make mistakes with big price tags. We can do lots of little bitty, you know, baby step testing. But there's just with this five-step process, what I see is that it starts to create this um, groundswell because one, people understand how to come up with an idea. And I do have criteria as I, as I define innovation that the ideas actually have to be executable because that's one of the things that I hear is that it's easy to come up with the ideas. The hard part is the execution. And I differ with that a little bit because I believe a big part of the reason that ideas can be hard to execute is because they weren't great ideas to start with. And so if we can teach people what a great idea is, what it looks like, how it solves specific problems, you know, and needs and issues that we have, and then how to consistently come up with those ideas, we've created a whole different dynamic and energy and momentum within an organization. Oh, that is great. A really good nugget there. I totally agree. And I'm sure everybody understands that this is so important today in what you describe as today's hyper-competitive customer-driven world. And that innovation is just needs to be in there in order to survive long-term. If not, well, it's going to be a tough ride. <laughs> you know, and, and I tell executives, I, you know, I say, you don't have to do this. You are 
Absolutely. It's, it's your company. You run it. You can continue to go on as you, as you have been or as you think is best. But here's what I do know. Your competitors are focusing a great deal more on innovation. And I'm starting to see many more innovation programs activated in highly successful brands, particularly right now during this time. And these innovation programs are about activating all of the employees. It's not just product and service driven. Mm. And so they, they don't have to do it, but the risk there is that their competitors probably are. Mm. So true. Well, with those words, I think it's important for everybody to pick up the book, Rethink Innovation in, in the end of June when the hard copy hits the shelves in, uh, in all the, yeah, Amazon and, uh, and uh, Barnes and Noble and so forth. So uh, we're really looking forward to, to read your book and we can already now download the, the ebook version as well. So yeah, would love that to see that happening. Absolutely. So- and um, the audio book will be out as well in June, June 29th. But I always encourage people. I love pre-orders. And if you're an ebook reader, Kindle Nook, um, it's available now. So you don't have to wait. Yeah. So that's so great. Thank you so much for sharing all this insight. And I know you you have more content if people want to check you out, Carla. Where can they find you? Absolutely. Um, I encourage people to visit my website. It's carlajohnson.co. There's no M, just a C-O. That's my website. And please connect with me on LinkedIn. Give me a, you know, a shout out on Twitter. And you can also find me on Instagram, carlajohnson.co there as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Carla. It was great to get all the insights around innovation. And I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much, Jacob. It was a delight to be here today. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.